0: All right, if you'll stand with me as we open God's Word to the book of Romans. This morning our passage is in chapter 14. We're going to read verses 13 through 23. And if you're using a pew Bible in front of you, you can find it on page 1,128. Again, we're going to read Romans chapter 14, verses 13 through 23. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whoever does not proceed from faith is sin. Let's pray. God, we just thank you this morning for... Lord, for our brothers and sisters in Christ, as we gather together, as we worship, as we serve, and as we proclaim your gospel. God, teach us this morning to walk in love. Lord, protect us from legalism, but protect us from sin. God, may we just uh, serve together uh, in unity. And uh, Lord, may you just uh, just pour your love out uh, to us and through us. In Christ's name, amen. Have you ever used the uh,
1: right thing in the wrong way? The right thing used in the wrong way. Think of cologne or perfume. If you use it in the right way, a a small amount can actually make you somewhat appealing to most people. But use cologne or perfume in the wrong way. Use too much of it and you will be appalling to some people. Now, my dad, when I was growing up, he had the motto, more the better. And so, uh, man, I'm telling you what, in the mornings, you could always tell when he was using his cologne. In fact, back then, what was the big cologne was Brute. Anybody remember Brute? And so my dad, man, he would just lather it on. It was like he bathed himself in it. And the aroma just it, it went through the hallway, down to our bedroom, and we knew when he was using his cologne. I think my son Jack has kind of caught his genes or DNA because now Jack, uh, my son over here who's 17, uh, he, you know, when it comes to Axe Body Spray, it's like, <laughs> and then he just walks through it. And then, you know, and I'm telling you what, the smell of Axe Body Spray in our house is overwhelming. It's like a bug bomb went off in his room. And we walk in there and we see cockroaches and bugs all turned upside down because of the smell of Axe body spray. Doesn't know how to use it in moderation. It's also true, the wrong, right thing in the wrong way, of salt. Think of salt. If you use the right amount in your food, it's a delicious Seasoning but use too much and it can it can ruin your meal. The same principle is true with most medicines. Take for example aspirin. It's a good blood thinner, but use too much of it and it will thin your blood to the point that it could kill you. Likewise, the apostle Paul here argues in Romans 14 that it's possible. It's actually possible to use the right thing in the wrong way when it comes to our liberty in Jesus Christ. Here in Romans 14, Paul states that, yes, indeed, as we learned last Sunday, we are free as Christians to to follow our own conscience in in what he calls these disputable matters. That is, these areas in life which the Scripture is either silent or it's inconclusive. And so, we as Christ followers, we are free in Christ to engage in or to avoid, depending on our personal convictions. But now Paul presents kind of the the other side of the coin of our Christian liberty. Those who are free to enjoy their liberty, he says, are also responsible for how they use it. Now last Sunday we learned that contention in the church, even our church, is nothing new. In fact, a lot of it is caused when, when Christians disagree over disputable matters. And, and we saw last Sunday that at the Church of Rome, in which Paul's directly writing here to, that the, the disagreement among the Christians at this church at Rome was, was over special diets and special days and, and how they were going to observe those things. And, and so Paul tells the strong and the weak, he tells both of them, to, to welcome those. You disagree with, and to do so without passing judgment on one's convictions in these disputable matters. Why? Well, Paul gives us the reason why. He says, Listen, God has welcomed them, God has welcomed you, and we should too. Plus, Paul tells us that God is our judge, He's the ultimate judge who each one of us will one day stand before. In answer to, we will give an account of our lives. Now, if we stopped right there, with just the first half of Romans 14, as we saw last Sunday, it might give some of us the impression that we can just leave here and we can live any way we want, so long as we welcome one another. After all, we have liberty in Christ. And we're free to make up our own minds when it comes to these these gray areas, these disputable matters in the Christian life. And all that is certainly true. Our Christian liberty is vertical before a holy God. But we also need to understand, and this is what Paul focuses on now in the second half of Romans 14, that our Christian liberty is also horizontal before one another. You see, the issue we're going to see today is all about how we should use our liberty in Christ. And so the question becomes, how do you handle Christian liberty? How do you handle it? And Paul is telling us here that you handle it with care. You handle Christian liberty with care. And what that means here, notice in your notes coming up on the screen, is that our liberty in christ therefore must be limited by our love for one another why well remember paul's ultimate concern in writing to the church at rome on this specific issue his whole concern his ultimate concern is about keeping unity in the gospel paul's point is that we must not misuse our liberty that we have in christ by failing to love our brothers and sisters in christ and so let us therefore let us live out let us embrace what paul writes later or earlier in galatians chapter 5 verse 13 where he says for you were called to freedom brothers and we're thankful for that freedom in christ amen it's a glorious thing but then he goes on and he says and the rest of verse 13 here, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You see, if we're not careful, we can use the right thing in the wrong way. Whether it's with cologne, whether it's with salt, in medicine, you name it. And in the same way, if we're not careful, We can misuse and even abuse our Christian liberty. And so what Paul does in these verses here, the second half of Romans 14, he, in essence, he gives us three warnings. And he lays it out before us. And I want us to unpack that for our remainder of our time together. Notice the three warnings, the first of which is this. He basically says, don't let your liberty destroy your brother Or you might want to write sister in Christ. Don't let your liberty destroy your brother or sister in Christ. Now, Paul's talking to Christians. We need to understand that. That's the context of who he's addressing here. Brothers and sisters in Christ. And and he simply reiterates here in verse 13 what he has already said earlier previously. In verse 13, he says, Therefore, and here's the first warning. Let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. And which clearly implies that the church at Rome was judging one another when it came to disputable matters. And so Paul tells them again, he reminds them again. It's kind of a transition to the second half of the chapter here. Hey, let's stop doing this. Let's as a church body, let's stop passing judgment on one another. As we saw last Sunday, he's basically saying, don't criticize the weaker believer whose conscience is easily offended, and therefore they limit their liberty in Christ. And also, don't condemn the stronger believer whose conscience is is more informed by scriptures. They understand the liberty they have in Christ better, and therefore they exercise their liberty in Christ. But then, notice immediately what Paul tells the strong. In the rest of verse 13, he says, But rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. In other words, when it comes to exercising our Christian liberty, Paul is warning us here. He's exhorting us, determine not to be a stumbling block in the life of another Christian. He's saying, well, what's a stumbling block? Well, a stumbling block simply refers to a a trap or a snare. And so the essence of what Paul is saying is don't do something that will be a trap or a snare to your weaker brother or sister in Christ. that, That will hinder their progress in the faith. Don't do something that will bring spiritual harm to your brother or sister in Christ. That will somewhat even devastate. Paul uses the word destroy. It's a strong word that would devastate their faith in the Christ. In other words, the use of our liberty, it actually has the potential. And this is where the warning comes in. It has the potential to actually cause a weaker brother or sister in Christ to to stumble into sin and to hinder their spiritual growth. Now, Paul's obviously, he's keying in on a a a key element here the key issue in all of this that he's driving home is our responsibility in other words we as christians we have a responsibility with our liberty in christ with liberty in christ comes responsibility to one another in christ yes we are free as christians but we must use our liberty in a way Paul says, that builds up one another, not in a way that tears down or trips up, in fact, even destroys them. This is a a radical way to approach our liberty in Christ, and yet, Paul knows, this is the way that keeps unity in the gospel. This is the way that even promotes peace in the church. Now remember, keep this in mind, Both the weak and the strong, Paul says, have a responsibility toward each other. The weak have a responsibility not to impose their conscience or even their scruples on everyone else in the church. Listen, it's a serious thing to try to bind someone else's conscience with rules that God does not clearly command in Scripture but the second half of romans 14 it's rather interesting because what paul does here is he now places the bulk of the responsibility on christians with a stronger conscience one obvious reason is that they are strong so god calls on them as we'll see next sunday and In Romans 15, the very first verse, he calls on us who are strong to actually bear with the scruples or the weaknesses or the failings of the weak. Andrew Nassali and J.D. Crowley put it this way in their book Conscience. And I quote, and they say, the concern here is not merely that your freedom may irritate or annoy or offend your weaker brother or sister in Christ. If a brother or sister simply doesn't like your freedoms, that is their problem. But if your practice of freedom leads your brother or sister to sin against their conscience, then it becomes your problem. Christ gave up his life for that brother or sister. Are you unwilling to give up your freedom if that would help your fellow believer avoid sinning against their conscience? Now, all of this leads us to a rather important question. And that is, what is Christian liberty? After all, we're talking about it, right? Perhaps we should define it. And so here's a simple definition of Christian liberty based here on Romans 14. We might define it this way. It's in your notes. Christian liberty is the freedom in Christ. It is the freedom in Christ to make lifestyle choices, but to do so out of love for Jesus Christ first and foremost, but also out of love for other christians paul makes it clear that the strong are correct in other words the strong in their conscience of their understanding of their liberty in christ they are correct in their position specifically here in context regarding the observance of special diets and special days Paul says in Romans 14, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. And later on in the same chapter here, Romans 14, you drop down to verse 20. And he says, everything indeed is uh, is clean. In other words, those who are strong, Paul says, are right in their freedom to eat meat and drink wine or engage in those things which Scripture doesn't forbid. But while the strong are correct in their position, Paul also tells them, listen, you need to consider something else. You need to consider the conscience of the weak in the rest of verse 14 here. Look what he says. He says, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. In other words, what he's saying, if someone considers it unclean because they cannot in good conscience eat or drink it, then for them, it becomes something sinful. So there are some things that are always sinful. Why? Because God has clearly told us so in Scripture. We understand that. And that's not what the issue is here in Romans 14. They're not discussing those things that are clearly commanded or forbidden in Scripture. We know that. We looked at that last Sunday. They're not arguing and disputing over moral norms that God's clearly laid out. Uh, But there are these disputable matters that aren't sinful in and of themselves, but they may become sinful if done in violation of one's conscience. So here's the question. What should you do? When your liberty comes in conflict with the conscience of the weak. And Paul gives us a principle, a guiding principle in which to answer that question. He basically says that we should walk in love. That's the guiding principle. Walk in love. Love has regard for our weaker brother or sister in Christ. And so out of love... What we do as stronger believers in the faith, who understand our liberties in Christ, out of love, we choose to limit our liberty for their sake, for that person's sake. You might say, but man, that's not fair. For all as ones who live in America, that's that's normally our first response to everything. That's not fair. I know the truth. I have an informed conscience, and there is nothing wrong with what I'm doing. I am right. And Paul says, yeah, you are right in your position. But Paul's trying to tell us that when it comes to these disputable matters, there is something much, much, much more important than being right. It's walking in love. Look what Paul says in verse 15. Look at it. He lays it out very clearly. He says, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer doing what? You're no longer walking in love, he says. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. You see, we see here that it is possible to grieve this word that paul used to grieve your brother and sister in christ by the use of your christian liberty that is when they see you doing what their conscience sees as sin it may cause them pain and grief more than grieving paul says it's actually possible to quote destroy them or to devastate them in their Christianity. That is, flaunting one's liberty to the weak may cause them to actually violate their conscience. In other words, they're, they're pulled along to do something that you're doing, that you see as you're free to do, but in their conscience, they're like, no, I, I, I restrict myself. But, but through pressure or whatever means, they're now pulled in to do that. And it, it devastates them. They may even walk away from the faith as a result of it. That's the idea of destroy or devastate. And Paul says that for the strong Christian to do this, listen, it's an unloving thing. You're no longer walking in love. If the use of your Christian liberty is destroying or grieving your brother or sister in Christ. It's almost as if Paul is saying, Man, look what Christ sacrificed in order to pardon your brother or sister. Look at the cross. Look what Christ did. Look what what Christ gave up for them. Look at the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Will you now not sacrifice something in order to protect your brother from stumbling into sin? So then, the strong, again, so you hear it clearly here, because Paul makes the point, the strong are not wrong in thinking it's okay to eat meat or to drink wine. The two disputable issues in Paul's day here. Paul says, you are correct, but they are are wrong when they enjoy this freedom in a way that causes harm to a weaker brother or sister. That's why Christian liberty does not mean flaunting your freedom and acting as you please. It means limiting your freedom and acting in love towards weaker believers in the faith. Now, perhaps at this point, you're sitting there and you're saying to yourself, wait a minute, hold on, time out, Bruce. Wait a minute. Let me ask, does all this mean that my brother's weakness in faith is to determine my lifestyle? Are you saying that I have to submit to my weaker brother's views? Must I limit the enjoyment of my knowledge of God's grace to his limited knowledge of Scripture? Well, those are rather pretty good questions, aren't they? Those are great questions. In fact, those questions reveal to us the, the tension in how we approach our liberty in Christ. And so let me answer these questions by giving a challenge here. To both the weak and the strong. And so first a challenge to the weak. As we saw last Sunday, the weak, it it just is the idea of they're immature believers in the faith. They don't fully understand all the liberties they have in Jesus Christ. They haven't come to that point. And that doesn't mean they're unbelievers. They are believers. They're genuine believers. But to you, if you hear yourself saying to other Christians such as, you shouldn't do that, it offends me. If you hear yourself saying, you shouldn't go there, it isn't right to me. Or, don't act like that. It grieves me as a believer. Listen, if you're saying that a lot of the times, you are tipping your hand that spiritual growth is needed in your life. Or perhaps worse, you're tipping your hand, you might even be a Pharisee. You see, as a... Weaker brother is one who thinks that since he is saved, he now cannot possibly do what you are doing. And and, and that's legitimate. His conscience is at that point. But this person needs to grow in his faith. He needs to grow in his understanding of God's grace in his life. In fact, Paul's consideration of him is to give him time just to do that. But a Pharisee, on the other hand, is one who thinks that because of what you are doing, you now cannot possibly be saved. And Paul is not telling us to be bound by the legalistic scruples of Pharisees. But he is telling us to consider the conscience of those who are weaker in the faith. A second challenge would be to the strong or to the mature believers in the faith. And so if you are in the habit of saying things like this, whether verbally or in your mind, listen, I have the right to do that as a Christian. I have liberty in Christ. Who are you to tell me what I can't do? Anyone who thinks I'm wrong for doing this is just a weaker Christian who needs to grow up. And if that's you, if that's your attitude, listen, you are tipping your hand too. That you are not walking in love. You're puffed up. You're thinking only of yourself. And you need to repent of your selfish attitude. And you need to determine in your own heart before God... Never to be a stumbling block. Why? Because Christian liberty is freedom to make lifestyle choices out of love, first and foremost for Christ. I love Jesus Christ. I've been changed by the gospel. And keeping unity in the gospel is what's most important to me. But also because of that, because what Christ has done for me and my brother or sister in Christ, I love them enough to restrict my freedoms especially in their presence. That's the heart of what Paul's saying here. Paul's first warning is don't let your liberty, don't let your liberty destroy your weaker brother or sister in Christ. The second warning is this, don't let your liberty destroy your testimony. Don't let it destroy your testimony. You see, why are you free in Christ? You ever thought about that? You are free for one reason, that is because our redemption in Christ sets us free from trying to please God through a system of rules and regulations. Since salvation is a work of God's grace alone, nothing we do or don't do could ever bring us closer to God. Eating meat or not eating meat can never make us one tiny bit more acceptable to God. Why? Because our salvation, aren't you thankful for this, has nothing to do with the food on your plate or the liquid in your glass or the holiday you observe. You say, well, what does all that mean for our lives? It simply means you are free. Hallelujah. Truly, absolutely free in Christ. And so, get this, you are free to eat meat. Or to remain a vegetarian. You are free to observe a holiday or not. Such as Halloween or even Christmas and Santa Claus. You are free to drink wine or not. And yes, you're free to get a tattoo or not. You are free to marry or not. You're free to live where you wish. You're free to drive a Ford pickup truck or a Mini Cooper. You're free to choose the career that fits your shape. This is great news. Listen, Christ has liberated us from this terrible burden of having to prove our worth to God by keeping a set of rules and regulations. That means you are free from the law. That means you are free from rule-keeping. You are free from legalism. But left all by itself. This teaching, it just might be confused with selfish hedonism which says do whatever makes you happy live any way you want and so paul warns us now he comes to us again with a second warning here in verse 16 where he says so so do not let what you regard as good to be spoken of as evil The good there, the good thing Paul's talking about is some act of Christian liberty. It's fine for you. For you, it's fine to do. However, Paul says, don't do it. If it can be used as a reason to diminish your testimony as a Christian. That is, don't let your liberty in Christ destroy your testimony for Christ. And so here's a danger for us to be aware of. Here's a danger for us to avoid when it comes to our Christian liberty. Notice it here in your notes coming up on the screen. And that is in your zeal to be free from legalism. Don't fall into libertinism. Now, right away I just used two words that most of us are probably not familiar with. So what do they mean? Let me quickly talk about it a little bit legalism is simply the belief that god's approval must be earned by following a list of rules that's legalism libertinism is on the other end of the spectrum it's a rejection of basically all moral boundaries in life why Because you're all about pleasing yourself without regard for God or anyone else. In other words, libertinism is nothing less than a license to sin. I'm free in Christ. I can do what I want. doesn't matter. And so, yes, God has set you free from legalism. But understand something. God has not set you free so that you can please yourself. He set you free so that you can please Him. And this means we are not free to sin. This means we are free now to make responsible choices. But we are never free to sin without consequences. This is why Paul, earlier in the same book of Romans, he asked a rhetorical question in chapter 16, verse 15. He says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law? In other words, but under grace, in other words, we are, we're free in Christ. Shall we sin all the more then to that? You know what Paul's answer is? No, certainly not. So do we have liberty in Christ? Absolutely. But our liberty, Paul says, it must be grounded in our responsibility to Christ, vertical responsibility, but also to one another, a horizontal responsibility. This is why Paul explains in verse 17. He gives us a logical reason now in his thinking. which we should, we should embrace, and it becomes a part of our thinking, even our worldview. Notice what he says here in verse 17. He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so immediately Paul's telling us something. He's saying, listen up. Here's what's most important in life. This is what matters. The eternal realities of the kingdom of God are more important than one's freedom in these disputable matters. That's what he's saying here. Now, this is a great reminder because it's so easy in our day and age to to think that God's kingdom primarily involves what a person does or does not do this is how the pharisees lived though you see the pharisees made a big deal out of externals but the kingdom of god isn't about what you eat or drink it's not about me and my liberties in these disputable matters the kingdom of god paul says is all about righteousness peace and joy in the holy spirit he says these are the things that really matter in life. And so now do whatever leads in those things. Let your behavior be guided by what cultivates righteousness in your life and even in others' life. Do what cultivates uh, peace and joy, not only in you, but also in your brothers and sisters in Christ. In other words, we don't live as Christ followers here. We've been redeemed by Jesus Christ. We've been set free. And so now we don't live to grieve our brothers and sisters in Christ or even to devastate them in the faith. No, no, no. We live to serve Christ. How? Paul says, by welcoming one another. As Paul says in verse 18, look at it. He says, whoever thus serves Christ in this manner is acceptable to God and approved by men. Now, to live this way is a double bonus. Because Paul says, it pleases God and it is approved by men. That is, if we don't misuse our liberty around weaker Christians, then it will create peace and unity among those who at first may not see eye to eye on disputable matters. So Paul has issued two warnings here. He says, don't let your liberty destroy your brother in Christ. That's the first warning. The second warning is, don't let your liberty destroy your testimony for Christ. And now he gives us a third and final warning. He says, don't let your liberty destroy your church. In this last section, Paul lays out a a quick, fast-paced series of exhortations that really all focus on the church as a whole. And so let me go through them here for you. Three exhortations. The first one of which is, he says, pursue what makes for peace and building up of one another. You see this in verse 19 where he says, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Pursue peace. Pursue harmony. Not insisting on your own way in the church community. Pursue building up, not tearing down a brother or sister in Christ. In other words... Paul is he's trying to get us to understand the framework here. Don't stir up trouble by abusing your Christian liberty. Instead, focus on those things that promote peace and unity in the church. Be sensitive to the convictions of others. Show courtesy to those who differ with you. And be willing to, to set aside your own preferences for the greater good of the kingdom of God. So that's the first exhortation. Pursue those things that make for peace and building up of one another. And then, number two, he says, protect the work of God. Protect the work of God or the church community. Look what he writes in verses 20 and 21. He says, do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Now, this is a really interesting phrase here, this work of God, because this is the only place where Paul refers to Christians as the, quote, work of God. The work of God is actually a reference to believers in Christ, the church community. And so what he means by that is, we are literally, here, we are God's project. We're his masterpieces. And Paul says, it's our responsibility not to tear down that work. But rather, to build up that work. What work? A believer in Christ. God's doing a work in their life. So don't tear them down. Build them up, he says. That's the idea. Protect it. Put God's church ahead of your liberties so as not to be a stumbling block in another Christian's life. And then the third exhortation here is to preserve your own conscience before the Lord. Paul says in verses 22 and 23, he says, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. And when he says the faith that you have, it's, it's, it's the idea, your conscience, your understanding of the liberty you have in Christ. What allows you, by your conscience, to do or not do things in these disputable matters. The faith that you have here, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. Because the eating is not from faith for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin and so the best way that we can keep peace in the church is to keep our views on these disputable non-essential matters to ourselves as far as you're able so if you have a strong conscience here's what paul is saying on a certain issue he says don't flaunt it why why would you brag that you can go do this and your conscience allows you to Paul says, don't do that. Don't demand that everyone engage in the same things that your conscience allows you to engage in. And if you have a weak conscience, Paul is saying here, listen, don't demand others to be as restrictive as you. Keep your convictions to yourself on such disputable issues and allow others to enjoy their freedom in Christ without condemning them and passing judgment on them. And most of all, Paul says, don't violate your own conscience when it comes to these disputable matters. In fact, Paul, he says that a person who lives according to their conscience on these matters, is actually blessed. Whoa. That's pretty awesome. We're blessed, in other words, if we don't violate our conscience and we live according to it. Now, does that mean our conscience is infallible? No. Please don't walk away thinking my conscience is infallible. No, it's not. I mean, our conscience can be seared by sin. It can become callous. We know that we, Paul's already told us that we need to be, in, we can have informed conscience. So therefore, our, sometimes our conscience, it lacks a little understanding. It lacks fullness of what Scripture teaches on different things. And we, we need to grow in that. So that doesn't mean our conscience is infallible. But he is saying at the point where you are at, live according to it. Don't violate your conscience, and you will be blessed. Now, let me just give you two takeaways here of liberty says, but love asks. It's kind of a way of application. Notice this in your notes. Liberty says, I'm convinced it's okay. But love asks, will it trip up a weaker believer? You see, love will choose to limit its own liberty out of concern for the spiritual well-being of others. Think of it this way. Although we are permitted to, To enjoy our liberty. We are not commanded to do so. Let me say that again. Because that's a novel idea for a lot of us. Although we are permitted to enjoy our liberty in Christ. In these disputable issues. We are not commanded to actually do so. That is we're not commanded to actually engage in it. In other words, we're not obligated to exercise every liberty we have in Christ. In fact, the greater our love for Christ and for other Christians, and the greater our spiritual maturity, the less important these liberties will be to us, and the more willing we will be to relinquish them, to let go of them. Why? For the sake of promoting peace and preventing stumbling blocks. You see, if we're really serious about pursuing love, walking in love we will think about how our liberty will affect someone else's spiritual growth. This was Paul's attitude. He is practicing what he preached. Or he's preaching what he practiced. However you want to say it. This was Paul's own attitude when it came to eating meat that had been previously offered to idols. Which, by the way, according to Scripture, was okay to eat. But as we know already, some didn't think it was. And yet, notice what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, 9 through 10, and verse 13 here. He says, but take care that this right of yours, this liberty of yours, does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols. And then verse 13, therefore... If food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. This was Paul. In other words, he he limited his liberty. Why? For the sake of another weaker Christian and brother of Christ. The key to exercising our liberty is simply, again, it's walking in love. So here's the second one, takeaway. Notice, liberty says, man, there's nothing wrong with it. But love asks will it tear down other believers? Remember what Paul said in Romans 14, 20. He said, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. And so the opposite of destroying or tearing down is building up. And so Paul asks in verse 19, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual uh, upbuilding." Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, listen, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. In the exercise of our freedom, love will step back. It will stop before acting. And it will ask if what we are doing is either building up or tearing down the work of God. And if it tears down God's work in someone's life, love will choose to refrain from it. That's what Paul means when he says here in Romans 14, it is good Did you catch that the first time we read it? He says, this is a good thing. It's good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. So why? Why is choosing to limit our liberty in Christ good? Which, by the way, is so counterculture. Because what is our culture's motto right now? Our culture says, do anything you want. It's your right. Go for it. And when we embrace our culture and bring it in, it, has, it causes issues in the church family. So why is this good to limit when necessary? Because it's, it's good because it shows that there's love among our church family. It's good because it promotes peace in our church. It's good because it actually puts others first, which Paul will talk about next Sunday. Here's the bottom line when it comes to our Christian liberty think of it this way love is always better than liberty for the sake of keeping unity in the gospel again may we as life bridge as a church family may we hear may we live out what paul wrote in galatians 5 13 for you were called to freedom brothers And we celebrate that freedom. Listen, every time we come to Sunday morning here and we worship together, it is a celebration of our liberty in Christ, of that freedom of which we have been redeemed by Christ. We are reminded of this freedom every Sunday. It's a glorious thing. And so Paul says, For you were called to freedom, brothers only. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity For the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Let's pray. As your heads are bowed, let me ask you just a couple of questions here. What Christian liberty is God perhaps calling you to give up, either indefinitely or perhaps at appropriate occasions? Is there one? Whatever it is, are you willing to limit your liberty... For the sake of keeping unity in the gospel. Heavenly Father, we want to be free. Not free to sin, but free to be who you made us to be. And free to do what you want us to do. And so we thank you for our liberty in Christ. And we ask you to help us to handle it with care. To handle it with graciousness for one another. Help us to see that love is better than liberty for the sake of of keeping unity in the gospel. In your name we pray, amen.